word. Well, take out your Bibles. In fact, you can open a couple places. I'm going to look at Matthew 9, verse 1 through 8, and then I want to pick up that same story, a little different perspective in Luke chapter 5. So really, this year, um, we are looking through the scripture with a theme that is mentioned in Matthew chapter 10, 7, from Jesus, where he said, and as you go. Wouldn't you love, wouldn't it be great to throw up on some map if we just tracked everywhere all of us went different places during the week? That'd be pretty crazy. Have you ever seen those flight trackers and they'll show every airline that's moving around in the nation? And you look at that and you say, well, we'll do it next time. And look at like uh, other nations, look at like China. You, you think we got a lot of flights going on? Boy, you look at all of that activity. As you go, Jesus said, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As you Go. We're all going. We're going different places, but are, are we sensitive to the people that we're around? Or are we, are we in such a hurry that we're trying to get from A to B to C that we're not paying attention of those who are around us? I know we added a couple different tracks that were in the back, and we're going to get more. I would encourage you, pick up as you walk out week after week, pick up a couple tracks that you keep with you somewhere in your your car on your person, that as you come across somebody, because we don't know where or when, you have something to drop off, even if you don't feel so comfortable about a conversation. I still remember as a little kid sitting at Rod's Diner over here. I don't know if anybody knows where Rod's Diner is. And my grandpa pulled a card out and set it on for the waiter and, or the waitress. And I remember asking him later, what does your card say? And he gave me one. He says, the service was lousy, so no tip. And I thought, right? I called Pop, Pop, that's so rude. He had a card with him. He carried these cards. And if he got bad service, he put it on a table and it was said, the service is lousy, no tip. Is that like terrible? You know, we've, yeah, yes. We've all been in places where service was lousy, right? We just never know what's going on with that person. And so we always have to be sensitive uh, to what the Spirit, as you go. You know, Jesus gives that example in Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power that went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He went about doing good. You know, I noticed this about Jesus. He didn't set up camp somewhere. He went about. He didn't pull off PR stunts. Right? Hey, let's get a boat, and you're going to push me out a little bit. And then let's crowd the people around. Let's make sure we get some really good pictures of all the angles. Does anybody have a drone? We get a drone shot that, no, it's no PR stunt that Jesus did. He never did anything for optics. Let's, let's do this. Let, let, let me put a pause on the Beatitudes. Let's go do it uh, at the temple. I think that's a much better place that, you know, the temple's in the background. He never did things for optics. He wanted to connect with the individual or, or the whole person, spirit, soul, 
and body. He wanted to connect with people. When he preaches and the people are tired, the disciples want them all to go away, right? No, he wants to feed them, even though they only have a little boy's lunch. He wanted, he had that connection that he had with people. In fact, I love this one verse before I get to Matthew 9. Matthew 4, verse 23 through 25, another picture of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus went all about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria. Did I just read that in there, right? His fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. When you read the word Decapolis, some of your translations may already translate it, the ten cities. Yo, but the more I read this, and I bolded it in my scripture here, and they brought to him. People bring people to Jesus. We see that, right? People bring people to Jesus. Somebody brought you to Jesus, right? Somebody did that. Don't tell me some angel showed up in your room, right, with a glowing light and, you know, just gave you this person. No, somebody brought you. Some, somebody did something somewhere that brought you. And we see that here. Of all of the acts that Jesus did, he did that because people brought people to him. And this one we read 10 cities. All right, let me get to math. Matthew chapter 9. You know, when I was first in youth ministry and my pastor uh, would get upset that we didn't have larger youth numbers, you know, he would kind of be honest for our, our numbers. We would throw pizza parties for youth group. Now, this is when if you told the youth that you were having all you could eat pizza, oh, they came out of the woodworks. Man, they brought their entire school. You, you do that now, oh, yeah, I can get all you can eat pizza at this store, you know different. Our numbers would, would go up. The very next week, those pizza eaters, they didn't show up. Right? They were only there for the pizza. Well, that's not how Jesus is. It's not he's not there just for that type of healing. He is looking to instruct the whole person, spirit, soul, and body. I think this story, as we read this, is amazing. In fact, uh, it's in all four Gospels, but I want to look at two today. Verse 1, so he got into the boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And, and Jesus saw their faith. Okay, these are the friends. Jesus saw their faith. Not the paralytic man. Jesus saw their faith. And he said to the paralytic son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, 
To say your sins are forgiven you? Or to say arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. So he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Well, keep that thought. Let me get over to Luke chapter 5. Same story. We get a little bit different picture of where this event took place. And I picked this up at verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and the teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. I love this one verse. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought a bed on a bed, a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find when, and when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down through his bed, through the tilling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or say, rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. So Lord, as we look at this verse today, boy, there's so many things in there. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit takes that word of God, implants it in our heart to speak truth to us. We're all people that take people to Jesus. Let it be first and foremost in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. You know, I, I remember, I still remember, I went to Christian high school, and we had a couple chapels a week. I don't remember any chapel except one in four years. And it was a gentleman that came and taught. In fact, it was the stretcher bearer. And he didn't look at the guy paralyzed. He looked at the four that brought him. And he talked to us about the friends that we have. Are they people of faith? If we were in a situation, would they drag us to see Jesus? And if the door was packed or locked, these friends didn't stop, did they in the Bible? That'd be terrible in the rough. Can you imagine that you've let Jesus come in your home and he's teaching? What an honor it is, right? And you hear something and you look up and these guys are chiseling away at your roof tiles and they tear it open enough to where light is coming in. And can you imagine the rumble and tumble of stuff falling in? 
and then they start lowering this guy down till they come in and then you think, these guys are going to pay for this. You know, that's, that's my, my roof. They wanted so badly to get their friend in front of Jesus that a roof wasn't going to stop them. They wanted to get him. So, that was such a, a yearning. But I love when we read this. They weren't discouraged by the crowds. And this guy, this paralyzed guy, in Bible times. Now remember, we are blessed today that people with major, major disabilities have uh, resources to them. They can work on computers. I've seen them where they're in wheelchairs that operate uh, by maybe a hand that can move or a chin. Uh, things that speak back and forth, that can speak. I mean, amazing what people can do today that you would never know. In those times, in an agricultural society, a marketplace society, this guy couldn't do anything. Imagine how you'd feel. You couldn't contribute to your family. But your friends never gave up on faith. And yet the very first thing is they put this guy in front of Jesus. This is what they had believed and hoped for. These are probably the stories, right? He's right in front of Jesus. And what's the first thing? Let me get back over to Matthew uh, chapter 9. What's the first thing Jesus says to this guy? Which I think is, is amazing. He says, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Don't you think the four of them went, whoa, wait, whoa, 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 Jesus, can't you see the guy can't move? <laughs> He's paralyzed, Jesus. Uh, you've been out in the sun too long. Have you been walking to the ten cities and you're, you're really tired and you need a break? Notice the very first thing that Jesus says to him before the healing is, Son, your sins are forgiven. They were hoping to see a miracle take place for what they believed for. But here's what I believe, and I wish we had more time to go through this, because I think it is so, so powerful for us to remember and reflect. Jesus is first going to talk about the spiritual state of a person before he gets into the physical state. If we can remember anything about today, today's message, everything is spiritual first. Secondary is the physical. Jesus could have flipped the order. He could have said, arise and walk. Oh, oh as you're walking out, remember too, uh, your sins are forgiven. Right? He could have done that, couldn't he? No, he wanted to talk about the spiritual state first. Which is easier, he says to those scribes and Pharisees. What, what, what's easier? Your sins are forgiven or arise and be healed? Who has the authority to forgive sins? Which is more important? You know, I've had people say this. You know, I, I really doubt that God does miracles today because I haven't had one happen to me. You know what I always say? Are you saved? Yeah. You've been forgiven? Yeah. You've had a miracle take place. That's a miracle. That your spirit went from dead to alive, right? You're alive. You're a new creature. Your sins are forgiven. That's a miracle. In fact, if we lived in Old Testament times, we would be taking animals to the temple so that they could be slaughtered, so their blood could be shed, so that it would cover our sins, right? It would just be a cover. 
And every year, we read this in Hebrews 9 and, and 10, every year the high priest would take that blood into the Holy of Holies. And you know, the high priest had a rope around his waist and a bell. And as he would go in the Holy of Holies, the reason was if you heard the bell and he came out with the bell, he lived. If he had any sin in his life, he was going to drop dead. And the rope was to drag his lifeless body out, right? That's, that's what it was. He would take that as an atonement. It was a covering, a covering for it. Death to light, darkness to light, that's a miracle. In fact, I think that's what Jesus is referring to. It's a miracle that I can say your sins are forgiven. You know, we read uh, these verses, Romans 3.23. In fact, the Apostle Paul, as you read through Romans, you'll kind of get this thing. And he wants to let us know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody can ever say, hey, I've not done anything bad. No, for all have sinned. The moment you were born, you know what your nature was? A sin nature. You rebelled. I want food now, right? Or I'm going to keep you up all night long. I'm going to fill these diapers full so that you feed me. That's that nature, right? That nature to want your own or that nature to, to want, to, want to rebel. That's that sin nature for all. In fact, Apostle Paul in Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. But, I love that, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The spiritual state first, right? Then the physical state. The spiritual state first. Uh, I want to read a couple translations out of one. I love the, the, the Passion Translation. It says, For sin's meager wages is death. Because you can always see somebody saying, Hey, how much do they pay to sin? No, no. The meager wages is death. But God's lavish gift is life eternal, found in your union with our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. Last one, New uh, new Century Version. The payment for sin is death. But God gives us the free gift of life forever in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Isn't that great when you hear those? I love the end of those, right? Well, we read, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But God's lavish gift is life eternal. But God gives us the free gift of life eternal. In Christ Jesus our Lord. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, the spiritual state was broken. Yet what's interesting to read when you read the the book of Genesis, these guys are living seven, eight, nine hundred years, and society's not changing for the better. You imagine being a hundred years old, you're still like five in our, you know, you're still like in diapers. Society's not changing. Every intent, the Bible says in Genesis, was evil, right? They weren't changing. We hear people say, well, you know, the more knowledge and the more sophisticated we get, we we begin, no, 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 that nature inside. And as long as they lived, they weren't doing anything. I, I love when I read Methuselah. Uh, 969 years, and it doesn't say a thing he did in his life. You think he would have done one thing, right? 
You better do something at 969 years old. You better have one credit for nothing. But we read that, right? It's the, the nature. In fact, let me read, uh, I know we don't have it on the screen. 1 John, I wanted to read this. 1 John 1, 8, 9, and 10. Listen to this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, we like to read verse 9. We forget verse 8, right? Oh, I, I don't sin. You know, that I, I gave that up at 32 years of age. No, no. The Bible says you're a liar. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Is Jesus a liar? No. Has he ever lied? No. Any half-truth? No. Inflated anything? Just to kind of, you know, uh, has he uh, embellished a story? Has he added a little bit more just to kind of, you know, they didn't really, you know, they had the kids' lunch and it was really five people. No, no. Nothing was embellished at all. Uh, and it says that in verse 10, right? If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Because it's his word that says, you know what, Walter, you said that and you shouldn't have said that. I had to repent this week. I offered to take my daughter to the DMV. <laughs> and now I offered this with Michelle a month or two ago to get her real ID. We were in and out in 17 minutes. She had an appointment. First thing in the morning. In fact, I, I was concerned in the morning when at 7.40, the lady's already yelling at everybody in line. 7.40, you don't have your paperwork. You got to get out of line and go home and get back. I mean, she, I thought, man, it's going to be a long day. 7.40 till 6 at night. So I offered to go uh, with Madison. And so we went. She had an appointment. And I walked in. And I walk in and I don't see the line that says for appointments. So I go to the security guard. And I said, hey, my, my daughter has an appointment. Um, where's the appointment line? Oh, you got to get in the line. The line's halfway around the building. I'm not getting in the line. It's around the building. No, you have to, everybody's got to get. No, 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 I have an appointment. So I, I said this to him. Why would I need an appointment if I got to get in the line? He's like, I have no idea. You just got to get in the line. So then I walked right up to the lady who's checking, every, one person checking the mass amount of people in, and I said, I'm sorry to disturb you. We have an appointment. To she needed to get to the end of the line, she tells me. No, no, I know. We have an appointment. We had an appointment. She's had this appointment for like three months. You got to get at the end of the line. I, I don't want to get at the end of the line. That's why I made, I'm trying to like, get at the end of the, in the line and we'll, we'll try to process you through. So we get the end of the line. I was already probably a little bent. At, at, you know, when, when you text your family 15 times, uh, so finally she got through, uh, and we go to take her picture. The honesty, and Madison can correct, the line at the picture went all the way around. They have one camera at the DMV. If you work at the DMV, I'm so sorry. And it wasn't you, it was me. The line's all the, and I'm looking going, oh my goodness. Well, where they have the, the booth to take the picture is in the major walkway. People are walking into people's photos and they're having to retake them. 
So I'm timing how long it takes between each person to get their photo. It, it's, re, it's ridiculous. So finally, Madison gets up to take her picture, and I, and I went and I stood so nobody could walk in her picture. I want to get out of there. I should have never offered. I should have let her, well, it would have been, right? should have eased my pain. So I go and I block so no... So nobody can get in. This guy walks right in on her picture. We're convinced that when she gets her picture back, there's going to be two people on her real ID. Her and this other guy. Right? And so she asks the lady. She says something about, um, are you sure it has the right picture? It's like she didn't even care. I don't know. That just bothered me that day. And I finally told my family later that night, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have. I don't know what came over me that day. I'm never like that at all. That's not my nature. (laughs) You know, when I read that, and I'm grateful for his word in us. Nobody's ever done those things before. I know you're perfect perfect people. Costco's at least got three cameras. Come on. And one. And I read this and I think that Jesus does comments on the sin two reasons. One, it's the spiritual state of people. You know, when I look at the headlines today in our world, nothing's getting better. It's getting more evil. Things that we think that we would have gone past or not. It's the spiritual state. You can't legislate things because it's a spiritual state. There's an active devil. There's active, Jesus speaks to that sin part. I think he does that one to show us the spiritual state. Two, he's got those listening ears of the Pharisees and Sadducees and they flip out. How do you, you can't forgive sin. Only the priest and God can forgive because of the, the sacrifice given. That, that freaks them out. But Jesus shows us a greater emphasis on the spiritual realm. But notice that the miracle is connected to both. Sin enters the garden in Genesis 3. But then we read in Genesis, well, in fact, it starts in 6 and on, where Noah begins to do a sacrifice, but then God begins to institute with Moses sacrifices for sin. Jesus would become the sacrificial lamb, the spotless lamb, so that we could come and confess our sins to him. In fact, let me read one more here in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 10. Hebrews 10. Let me get over to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, uh, 11 and 12, that I said before, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. This is Old Testament. It can never take away the sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. This one man. You know, when you read things like, um, when you read about the thief on the cross, he knew 
that he was a sinner. He knew that he blew it. He was defending Jesus to the other thief that this man, we had done wrong. This man did no wrong. Even the thief on the cross knew that he was wrong. But Jesus shows us this, and this is what I think is so important for us. Jesus has ultimate authority over sin. Jesus has ultimate authority over sickness and disease. Ultimate authority. Ultimate authority over sin. There's not an addiction that Jesus says, oh, you know, yeah, I forgot, I didn't die for that. Everything can come to him. Are there addictions that are bigger battles than others? Absolutely. But Jesus died for those very addictions. Jesus has full authority. And I love that he always reminds us to switch our focus from things eternal and things physical. He didn't just heal the body. He wanted to make sure that the person understood the power of forgiveness of sins, but then he healed the body. Jesus over, overseeing that. You know, uh, last verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 3.16. But remember, for this man to get in front of Jesus, for us to get that insight into his word, was because people took him to Jesus. Not expecting that outcome, but the guy got both. Forgiveness of sin and healing of the body. 1 Corinthians 3.6, Apostle Paul wants to let us know, I planted... Apollos water, watered, but God gave the increase. What's so important for us to know that all of us are the planters. We have no idea who's coming and watering, but here's what we know. God will get an increase. And I love when we read about this, this man's life that we don't read about later, but we see that there was a, a reason that he met Jesus is because of the people around him. I think many times we talk and talk and talk to people, have conversations without stopping and listening on the inside what we really need to say. I talked with somebody, oh, a couple months ago, and I know after that conversation and a few things that they said, I really wasn't listening to what they said. I was thinking about something else. What I should have been doing was really listening with my heart. Many times in those conversations, we have to ask the Lord, Lord, let me tune this off and let me listen here. What, what am I not hearing here? But what do I need to hear today? Because it's people that bring people to Jesus and Jesus knows the state of their heart. So bow your heads if you would with me today. Father, as believers, we can't ever get past and say, oh yeah, he forgave my sins a long time ago, and so I don't ever have to say a thing. No, we remember even in a time of communion, that when we surrender ourselves, we're to examine our lives. And many times when we go back and maybe it wasn't major errors, but Lord, you're working on us. We're growing in Christ Jesus. We're thankful that the Holy Spirit, when we do those things, 
that the Holy Spirit is so quick to speak to our lives, to do what 1 John 1.9 says, to confess those sins, to do what Hebrews says to do, to come boldly to the throne of grace, to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's the heart of the Savior, the spiritual part first. Father, let our eyes be open. Let us always be grateful. Let us bless and thank you for the ability to the, the forgiveness of sin. Sin, because of sin, sickness, and disease, entered. Lord, there's nothing we can't bring to you. There's nothing you don't already know about. There's nothing you can't forgive in that promise that when we confess our sin, you cast it as far as the east is from the west, never to remember it anymore. And we get a new start, a fresh start. In fact, we're told we're as wide as snow. Lord, let that passion in our relationship that we've received be something that as we go, that we pass that off to the people that we connect with. Not judging them, wanting to see life, an abundant life happening through them. We bless you this day. We are grateful, thankful people. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Stand with me if you would. We're going to close with this chorus.